Would you open your Bibles real quickly to the book of 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy, I want to share uh, some principles that uh, I've shared along the trail uh, to a couple, just a little bit heavy there, Rob. Just take me down just a bit, if you would. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 1, and I, I really have a heart, the, the older I get, I don't feel like I'm old, but I'll be 57 this year. So the, the older I get in ministry, uh, the, the more I, I see the imperative need for, for men to train men. And, and honestly, that, that's, that's the need. The, the, the need of our hour is that men would train men. And you're, you're those men. Uh, you're those men in your church. And I would, I'd say this, that if you are a mature believer, you've been saved and you've been in church, and there's not somebody right now that you can identify in your mind's eye whom you're mentoring, there's a problem. There's a problem because every man ought to be mentoring somebody. There ought to be some young man in your church, and not just your flesh and blood, although certainly ought to begin with your sons and your grandsons. Uh, but, you know, I have four children, six grandchildren and counting, and obviously that's a, that's a prime consideration for me, and I try to talk to my kids every day, even still. Uh, but, but beyond that, who are the men in whom you are pouring your life? Men training men. And I want to give you just a couple principles and maybe a couple of on the trail, but they, they bear repeating. Second Timothy chapter one, I look at the book of Second Timothy as a discipleship manual. Uh, Tim, uh, obviously, Paul is writing the last letter of his life. Uh, this is a personal letter that he's writing from the Mamertine prison uh, to Timothy. And in this letter, uh, he, you just see his heart. And you see not only his heart, but you see his priority. And you see not only his priority, you see his urgency. There's an urgency about the Apostle Paul to pour in. Think about it. If you were talking to your son, and that's who Timothy was, by the way, a son in the faith. If you were speaking to your son for the last time, or you had the opportunity to take out some paper and write a letter one last time to your child, what would you write? What would you say? What are the things that you would want to reiterate in his life? That, that's what the letter of 2 Timothy is. It's that reiteration to Timothy of all the things that Paul has already taught him, but kind of outlining what's really, really important. That was fully known. My doctrine, manner of life, purpose, patience, afflictions. He talked about, Timothy, you know me. If anybody knows me, you know me. But I still want to remind you about some things that are absolutely imperative that you keep in your mind. That's 2 Timothy. So what I did years ago is I took the book of 2 Timothy, four, chapter, four chapters, and I really developed uh, four, uh, 80 discipleship principles, 20 per chapter uh, from the book of 2 Timothy. I'll give you just a few of them. And then once we do this, I think you'll begin to see, oh, this is the way that this works. And you can study it yourself. Uh, this could be something that maybe you and your disciplee go through together. Uh, something that maybe you can use to teach your own children. So let's look at it. Second Timothy chapter 1. Look please at verse 1. Where the Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at verse 3. I thank God 
whom I served for my forefathers, uh, that with, uh, with pure conscience, that without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to, here's a big word in 2 Timothy, remembrance, the unfeigned, that means without hypocrisy, the unfeigned faith that's in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother, Lois, thy mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. Look at verse number six. Wherefore, I put thee in, here's our word again, remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. Uh, Verse uh, number seven. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. So I want to just cover maybe a few principles from those short verses. Okay, so 2 Timothy 1, verses like 1 through 8, and just get us going. Lord, would you bless this time? Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts in these uh, 24 hours, really less, that only you can do. We acknowledge your presence in this room. We know that you are the author of divine scripture. And we know that you take that word and you apply it to the heart of of men. And Lord, I'm praying that you would do that right now to my own heart. Lord, may, may I be open and malleable to whatever it is you want to show me. And Lord, I pray that for my friends here tonight as well. Please bless this time together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, mentorship principles that will help you uh, invest in the lives of young people. Number one, number one, if you're going to mentor young people, now we're, we're, we're the old ones here, okay, the young guys over there. Okay, if we're going to mentor young people, number one, we're going to have to understand our own unique call of God and determine to live a life of biblical priority. Listen to that. We're going to have to recognize our own unique call of God and determined to live a life of biblical priority. Now think about it. Paul is writing Timothy. Uh, Timothy is in Ephesus, and the whole world is just going crazy. Nero is the emperor. He's blaming Christians for all the economic woes and ills of society. Now, Timothy now is kind of shrinking back from his relationship with Paul because Paul is like the poster child of Christianity. He's in Rome and he's going to be ceremoniously executed. And we're, this is what we're, Nero is just kind of making him the scapegoat for all the, and, and Timothy is bearing some of this uh, indirect pressure because he's associated with Paul. So Timothy is actually shrinking back in his testimony from the Lord and from Paul. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Timothy, you are, you're struggling with timidity. That was Timothy's besetting sin. Timothy struggled with timidity. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, come on. That's what, Timothy, come on. And the primary way by which Paul does that, he said, Timothy, uh, Paul, an apostle. Do you see it in verse 1? An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life. Now, why, why would Paul take so much time in a personal letter to go through his uh, credentials? Why would Paul do that? I mean, Timothy knew Paul. If anybody in this world knew Paul, Timothy did. And yet Paul's saying, I'm an apostle by the will of God, according to the promise of life. I mean, why is Paul kind of undergirding his resume? I think what Paul's doing is saying, Timothy, I'm still doing what God called me to do. I'm still doing what God called me to do. I'm still here, Timothy. 
I'm still operating in the scope of my calling. I'm still the apostolos. I'm still the sent one. I'm still in the will of God. I know what you've heard. I'm in prison. I know what you've heard. I might die soon. I know that. But listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm running my race. I'm finishing my course. I'm fighting my fight. Timothy, I'm still doing what God has called me to do. Your walk talks and your talk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And the most important message you can send to young people is stay at it. Be faithful to Jesus Christ. Be faithful to church. Be faithful as a student of God's word. Be faithful in your morals. Be faithful as a visible testimony of what God wants to do in his life. Be faithful. See, leadership is not this. Here, here's what we think leadership is. We think leadership is this. Son, go that way. Son, do that. Son, don't go there. Son, go there. We think that's leadership. Leadership is not pointing. This is not leadership. Leadership is this, ready? Here, this is leadership. This is leadership. Know the way, go the way, show the way. That's leadership. And, you're, and as I said, your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. And kids oh, pay attention much more. Young men pay attention much more to what you do than what you say. Talk is relatively cheap. Actions scream loudly. Understand your own unique call of God and determine to live a life of biblical priority. Look at verse number two, if you would. Where the Bible says, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, to Timothy, is it not interesting that when the Apostle Paul wrote this last letter in his life, he wrote a personal letter? This is not an encyclical. This is not a letter to a group of churches like the, uh, the letters of the Galatians. This is not a, a letter to a, an a, a individual local church like the letter to the Thessalonians or to the Colossians. No, this is a letter to one guy. Now, we know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable. We know that, the, we know that, that this was intended for all of us. But the original author, Paul, the original audience, Timothy, this was a personal letter. And here's the discipleship principle. Ready? We have to prayerfully and carefully consider whom God would have us to mentor. We have to prayerfully and carefully consider whom would God have me to mentor. So let me ask you a personal question right now. Who is it right now in your life that you're mentoring? You ought to be able to picture his face. You ought to be able to say his name out loud. Because there ought to be somebody intentionally that we're pouring our life into. So carefully and prayerfully consider whom God would have you to mentor. Now, I, I love the people of Faith Baptist Church. We've got a bunch of people at Faith Baptist Church. I, I love every one of them. But do I mentor all of them? No. No, I can't. You know, the Bible says in Mark chapter 4 and verse 13, that among many, among many, and there were crowds at times that followed Jesus. Sometimes thousands of people at one time that followed Jesus. There may have been fifteen or 20,000 people at the feeding of the 5,000 men, right? There may have been. And there were crowds that followed Jesus, but Jesus didn't invest the lion's share of his time in crowds. No, Jesus understood better than anybody, obviously, the, the principle of discipleship and of multiplication. And he invested among many, he chose 12. Intentionally, prayerfully, carefully, he chose 12. Now, here's the operative phrase, ready? He chose 12 to be with him. That's mentorship. 
You will accomplish more in one Sunday afternoon of inviting somebody to your house and letting that young man see how you treat your wife and see how you raise your kids and see what you do when a bad commercial comes on TV and how you turn it off and just see your life. You'll accomplish way more by allowing men to be in your life, to be with you. Who are the men that you're allowing to be with you? Some of you came to this conference together. Maybe you brought a young man with you, and I hope you did. Maybe he's sitting over in the room right over there. Can I just say this? I hope he gets a lot of the messages. But you know where he's going to get most of his help this week? From you. He's going to get most of his help from you. In the car ride. Talking about the things of God. Talking about his life. In the hotel room. When he sees you in the morning getting up and what are you doing? I'm reading my Bible. That's what I do in the morning. Hey, Hey, son, let's pray together. I'm going to tell you something. That's where real, real Christianity is, is portrayed to young men. And so prayerfully and carefully consider whom would God have you to mentor? Who is that guy? All right, watch this. Number three. You've got your Bible open. So understand your own unique call of God. Determine to live a life of biblical priority. Number two, prayerfully, carefully consider whom God would have you to mentor. Watch this. Number three. To Timothy, don't miss how he speaks to Timothy, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. My dearly beloved son. And the the word there is the same word we use for agape love. My dear. Now, was Timothy Paul's physical son? No. Matter of fact, Timothy had a dad that wasn't saved, right? We know that. Timothy was primarily influenced in his life by a godly grandma and a godly mom. And thank the Lord for godly grandmas. And thank the Lord for godly moms. And I, I grew up in a single uh, parent household. I had a godly mom who loved me. I had an atheist dad that walked out on it. I'm gr- glad for the fact that God brought some men into my life that weren't my physical dad uh, to help me. That, that's important. And so uh, Paul said, Timothy, you are like my son. Watch this. And I love you. I love you. Do we live in a crazy world or what? We live in a world where people don't even know what a marriage is. And we thought that that was the foundational institutional uh, uh, institution. of. But that, then we found out recently people don't even know what a person is anymore. They don't know what a gender is. Did, 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 listen, those of us now that are older, did we ever think in a million years we'd get to this place? Like the insanity that we're seeing. And listen, we've lived most of our life in relative normalcy. What about these young men over here? What are they hearing? What's their future? What's a, they need men in their lives to have real, bona fide, Christ-honoring, biblical relationships to say, hey, in the Lord, I love you. You know the optimal way that people grow? Don't miss this. The optimal way that people grow is in a climate of love. You know, there's not one thing you can do today to make God love you any more than he already loves you. There's not one thing you can do today to make God love you more. We, we, don't, we don't perform for God. We don't obey God to make him love us. 
No, when we, when we truly understand how God loves us, that becomes the incentive for living for him. The love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. But unto him which uh, died for them and rose again. That's what Paul said his constraining motive was. But we need to, we need to be the, 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 the arms and the eyes and the ears of Jesus in the life of some young man. So tell him that you love him. Express your love to him. Show him that. When I was growing up, as I said, my dad left us. I was four. My dad, his whole life, he died when he was 56. So uh, I, I'm actually 56. I'll be 57 this year. So my dad died right now in my life. I'm the age that my dad was when he died. And I led my dad to Christ two months before he died. It was wonderful. But you know, my dad never one time his whole life told me, I love you. I really wanted him to. I think he did, but he never said it. And then my mom got remarried when I was 10 and I had a stepfather and we didn't like each other. Now listen, we love each other today, dearly. But it was rough, those teenage years. He didn't like me and I didn't like him. So by the time I went to Bible college, I, I didn't have any man that in my life who had ever said to me, I love you, not one. Now, my mother told me every day that she loved me. But I'm, I'm going to tell you something. When we don't have the expressive love of a godly man in our life, that creates insecurities. And you might have it put together at work, and you might be kind of a manly kind of guy, but I'm going to tell you something. When we don't have the expressive love of a godly man in our life, there are insecurities. And we can, the best thing we can do for these guys over here is truly invest in their lives in a godly, loving way and identify some young men in whose life we can pour ours. That's what Paul did. That's what Paul is expressing right here in chapter 1. And so understand your own unique call of God, determined to live a life of biblical priority. Carefully and prayerfully consider whom God would have you to mentor. And then when you've chosen that one or those several or that six or seven, then communicate your love. I love you. Not in some superficial way, not in some worldly way, not in some uh, take it or leave it way, but I love you with the love of Christ. Show them what that is in real, in real time and space. And then watch this, verse number three again. Principle number four. To Timothy... My dearly beloved son, now I love this, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we look at a verse like that and say, well, you know, that's just introduction. Let's move on to the uh, heart of the matter, as if some verses in the Bible are not important. <laughs> of course, we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every verse is important, right? And so why, why, why would this be included in the Word of God? Because in popular Greek culture, that's the way that you would greet people. You'd say grace and peace, grace and peace. Even today, right? Brother Brett, you go to Israel, they say shalom. Does that mean that they want peace for us? No, that means they want us to stop at their shop and buy their stuff, right? Shalom, shalom, come buy my stuff. So even today, people use these words, but they don't, they don't mean them. They don't mean them. It's kind of like we do that. We say hi, or we'll say, hey, how are you? But when we say that, we don't mean it. 
Like, if I ask you, how are you, I don't want to know, right? Because when you start telling me, I said, no, no, that's not what I meant, right? I was just saying hi. So in Greek culture, it was the same way. That was grace and peace, grace and peace. But wait a minute. When we give those words biblical meaning, grace, that's God's unmerited favor, which gives me both the desire and the ability to do God's will. Timothy, I want God's grace on you. You got your boys that you're trying to raise, and you do everything you can to raise them. I'm going to tell you something. They need God's grace. Because you know where God goes? He goes where you can't go. He goes to the heart. He does what you can't do. We can equip. We can give principles. We can be, give an example, but only God can go to the heart level. Oh, Timothy, I pray God's grace upon you. And mercy. And God's peace, that disposition of heart that only God can give. Hey, in other words, Timothy, I want you to be the recipient of the things that only God can give you. So when it comes to mentorship relationships, we have to make the, the body of our relationship spiritual. You know, so sometimes I think in trying to reach young people, what we do is we try to connect with them. So uh, we, we hunt with them and we golf with them. And we play ball with them. And, and that's good. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But sometimes that's where it ends. Sometimes we think that, that being a mentor is just like being a secular big brother. That's not mentorship. No, spiritual mentorship, we've got to get down to spiritual matters. I wonder, do you ever have spiritual conversations with your mentees? Do you ever have spiritual conversations with your boys, with your grandson? And that's important. It's imperative that we have those conversations. Because if all we ever do is bring them to places where they hear spiritual conversations, like, well, I have them in church. I, I make them go to Sunday school. They go to youth group. I, I pay money to go to, for them to go to camp. So, I mean, I'm putting them under good influences. But wait a minute. If the only time they ever hear spiritual things are when they go to certain compartments in their life, then what they end up believing is that spirituality itself is compartmentalized. And we can turn on God and we can turn off God. We can turn on interest in spiritual things, and we can turn off interest in spiritual things. We create spiritual widgets that work shifts and don't really have an organic relationship with God. That's why I say it's important that we are speaking about and infusing into them spiritual conversations that, oh, son, I just want God's richest blessing upon your life. Can you talk about spiritual things with your young people. That's important. Okay, watch this. Number four or five or whatever number we're on. Look at verse number three. Where, where Paul says, I thank God. Now, don't miss this. I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience. Now, what, what's he thankful for? Look at verse three. That without ceasing. Do you see that? Verse three. Without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that Paul just muttered all day long, Lord bless Timothy, Lord bless Timothy, Lord bless him? No. What it meant was every time Paul went to his regular time of prayer. Now, what one was Paul's regular time of prayer? Night and day. So Paul had a regular alone time with God every night. And Paul had a regular alone time with God every morning. And in that regular alone time that Paul had with God, there were certain people he prayed for every single time. 
And what Paul said is, Timothy, I just want you to know that every single time I go to my regular alone time with God, you are on my prayer list. I pray for you every day. So I guess my question is, for whom do you pray every day? Now, we have a large church, and I I love our church family. I think everyone in our church family ought to be prayed for every day. But I don't pray for every single person by name in our church every single day. Maybe I should, but I don't. I'm just being honest. Now, I do systematically pray for everyone in our church. But I don't pray for everyone in our church every single day. But there are certain people I pray for every day. And I think you do too. Like, I pray for Wanda every day. Right? I pray for Nathaniel and Charity and Jaden and Judah and Julia every single day. I pray for Joshua and Rachel and Elia every single day for Caleb and for Cassie and for Camila and for Cash every day and for Hannah and Zach every day. And I could go through our assistant pastors and their wives and their families and who are the people for whom you pray every day? That's what Paul said. So here's the, here's the discipleship principle. Ready? Pray for them and tell them you're praying for them. They're both important. Pray for them and tell them you're praying for them. I think I told you the story a couple years ago about this guy I met. Oh, my. Listen, this was 1992. So what's that? 30, uh, 31 years ago. So 1992, we started a church in Connecticut called Foundation Baptist Church. Just a handful of people met in a little storefront building. And we maybe would have 15, 20 people come back on a Sunday night. I had a missionary, a, a, a national pastor from the Philippines call me. His name was Brother Vic. And he wanted to have a meeting. He was calling to get support. And he was, he was the most effervescent guy I had ever met. He talked like this. My name is Brother Vic. I said, no one else is in the room. He's just talking at that little volume. You know what I'm talking about? He's on the phone. I'm holding the phone out like this. That's back when phones had a cord attached to them. Remember those days? Antiques. I'm holding out like this. So I said, Brother Vic, you want to come preach for us? Yeah, we'll take a love offering. I don't know that we can take it on for support. We need support ourselves. But, you know, come on and preach. And he did. Brother Vic came that night. There may have been 15, 20 people in the whole room. And I'm telling you, he preached this message on the gospel. He's running back and forth. He's like Billy Sunday posing. I mean, he is just full of the Spirit of God. It was a great message. We got done. We had an invitation. We wanted to eat. And that's it. I thought that's the last time I'll ever see Brother Vic in my life. So about six or seven years later, I'm pastoring a church in Pennsylvania. And now I'm not in a storefront. Now I actually, like, get a check from the church. You know, I'm actually, like, on salary. You know, and I have an office, and there, uh, we have a part-time secretary. I mean, like, I have arrived, right? So, so, so I, get this, I get this call on my intercom from, from our secretary. Her name is Stacy, and she, she said, Pastor, there's someone on the phone. So I, I picked up the phone. I tried to put on my best pastor voice. Hello, this is Pastor Skelly. Out the other end of the phone, here's what I heard. Brother Skinny, this is Brother Vic. <laughs> I said, I, I figured that out. <laughs> he said, uh, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. My ears are hurting a little bit, but yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah. How is Wanda? Wanda's doing great, Brother Vic. And uh, how about Nathaniel? How is Nathaniel doing? Nathaniel's growing up. Thanks for asking. And Joshua, how is Joshua? 
Joshua is really doing well, brother. And Caleb, I said, Brother Vic, you have an amazing memory. To which he replied, Oh, Brother Skelly, I don't have a good memory. I pray for you every day. Now listen to me. That was 27 years ago, 25 years ago, something like that. And I'm still telling you about him. Why? Because it was that impactful to me. What do you mean? You, you pr- Simon. Simon, say, Satan had desire to have you, all you guys. You is always plural, right? Thou and thee are always singular. Satan's desire to have you, they may sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. I wonder how that ministered to Peter when he went out and wept bitterly. I denied him. I denied him. And then he thought, but Jesus is praying for me. Well, when their eyes met and Jesus went and got beaten up a little bit more at Caiaphas' house, when he was being led through the streets, when he was being led to Pilate, thrown over to Herod, and bought to Pilate, I wonder in those moments, Lord, Father, Father, be with Peter. Father, help Peter. That's what he said he would do. But I'll tell you what, we need to be men who minister on our knees to these young men. Pray for them. And then listen, tell them you're praying for them. Because typically, we may, are we done? How many minutes? We're done? Give me a time frame. Okay, I love it. <laughs> Don't you love Brother Stone? He has no clue, but he acts like he does. And I love that. I just love that about him. <laughs> we, we, we make one of two mistakes. Mistake number one, we tell people we're praying for them, and we don't. I've done that. Or number two, we pray for people, but we don't tell them. And I feel like we don't always have to do that, but I feel like that's important. I am praying for you. And that can be, that's what Jesus did. For Peter, and I promise you, that can be a huge encouragement. Well, that's all the time we have. We're going to pick this up tomorrow, okay? So we've got five more to do, and we'll pick it up tomorrow in our, in our early bird session, but only if you're here for the early bird, okay? So bring in the coffee tomorrow morning. We'll finish it up. Appreciate you listening so well. Father, bless these men. Bless us as we consider mentorship relationships. And, oh, God, I pray that out of these simple principles today, Some young men will be strengthened and helped, nurtured and discipled. Bless them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.